Welcome back to another episode of Suncast, the official podcast of Somos Unidos News and your source for the latest news on New Mexico United. I'm one of your hosts this week, Seth Bidoff, and on this week's show, we're going to take a look back at a rather tough match against Colorado Springs, which I don't think any of us expected, and we're going to look ahead to another away match once again on the road in El Paso coming up uh, this Labor Day weekend. Uh, this is, of course, episode number 13 of our show. Jacob and I are both incredibly grateful to everyone who stops by, uh, not only here on Twitch with us uh, every week as we record our show live now, uh, but also to everyone who downloads and subscribes to our podcast across podcast services, basically around the world. Um, it's because of you guys that we continue to do this, that we want to keep doing this, and we've decided to do the show here on Twitch so that you guys can come be a part of the show with us live every single week. We've got the chat open. If you anything you want to, you know, any questions you want to throw out about the about the previous match, about the next match, or really anything soccer related in general, probably you know, really most questions. Anyways, um, we want you guys to be a part of the show. Not only not just if you're a New Mexico United fan, if you're a USL supporter, uh, even if you're a Phoenix Rising guy, you know, whatever. Um, we do have a, a, I do have a subscriber to the channel who comes over. Uh, he's a Phoenix Rising fan. So he, uh, he, he pops in the chat every now and then and talks with us. But um, So yeah, anyway, like I, like I was saying, you guys, you have a chance to come join the show live on Twitch. Uh, otherwise, you will hear it live on podcast services either the following day or within 48 hours, depending on how late we got out of here and when I get to get to edit it. So, um, yeah, if you've, uh, if you've been listening into the channel so far, you know that Jacob is of course already here with me. Um, but before we get into our actual discussion here, I do want to remind you guys, Jacob and I do also put up written content over at our website, dadventuresmedia.com. Uh, over at, over at our website, we do both pre and post match coverage of each and every match for New Mexico United. We'd also have a blog about our lives as dads. And when we get the time, we throw up some video game review news and reviews as well. So all that being said, thank you guys so much for being here, Jacob. Let's bring you right into the podcast. We'll get into it. Uh, I'm, I know you watched the match Saturday. I mean, without well, I mean, obviously we'll get into our, our full discussion on it here in just a little bit. But what was your biggest takeaway from this match? Without you know spoiling it, they just looked sluggish. Um, that they just didn't, and they talked about it in the presser last week a little bit. Somebody asked, um, you know, it, it's a team that you've played five times and beaten five times four of those times have been in Colorado Springs. Um, how do you guys like get yourself up for the match? And uh, we hadn't answered and it was a, it was kind of your typical um, standard answer. Well, you know, we just take one game at a time and every game matters and da, 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 da. Um, which is all fine and dandy in theory and uh, to say before the match. But I, I think you could tell that they weren't, not that they weren't ready, but they just weren't excited about it. <laughs> I don't think they were excited to be on the road uh, playing a team that they've kind of dominated um, and being on, not only on the road for that match again, but on the road for however long they had been, um, however many matches it's been in the last two months, you know, um, nine, I guess, ten, ten, I guess. Uh, or nine, nine since the restart. So nine matches in two months, all on the road, uh, facing a team that you've dominated in the past. It, 
I imagine it, it would be hard to get yourself pumped up for that game. And it, that's definitely what it looked like. Yeah. I, you know, like, like usual, I didn't get to watch it live. Um, I did listen to as much of it as I could. Uh, once again, you know, Adam, uh, Adam Deal and Andy Hageman, fantastic job on the call. Um, yeah, I mean, they kept mentioning, you know, the United just looked sluggish. And so when I got home after after working on Saturday night, I sat down and I watched the match. I'm like, yeah, they just they didn't seem to have the same level of energy as they did in the prior matches. Now, I don't know if it's just complacency because it is Colorado. I don't know if it's being tired from being on the road. It could be an, a combination of things, but Colorado looked a lot better on Saturday night than what we had seen from them in the two prior matches this season. So it's just one of those things like hopefully the guys will be able to get up this week. I know we've got, uh, you, you know, I've kind of dubbed them little brother El Paso this coming week. Um, so hopefully that's a match that the guys will be up for and we'll see a different level of energy from them. And I know if we, if we have been able to get on the, on the presser this week, you know, last season guys would ask Troy, you know, Troy, did you feel like there was a lack of energy? He always says that he doesn't, he never sees that lack of energy. He doesn't feel like there's a lack of energy. We heard that so many times from him last season. But, and maybe it's because we're not actually, you know, seeing what they're doing in practice or we're not seeing what they're doing to prepare for the matches. Maybe, maybe Troy had them prepared to play a certain way. And so for all, for us, they looked sluggish, but maybe they were trying to play to his game plan. I, I don't really know, but do you think that could be a possibility? No, <laughs> I just, they just look sluggish, man. That's all it was. I don't. I don't think it was anything that they tried to change or anything like that. I just think I, I just think they didn't get up for the game um, and that I, I don't blame them. Like it's it was annoying to watch because we obviously know we're the better team there. Um, and and honestly, until Ryan got sent off and even after Ryan got sent off, I thought there was a chance we could pull out the, the winning goal. Um, but they just they never seem to want to find that next gear um, that they, that I know that they possess. They just never tried to get to it. And that was, that was a, a problem for me. Yeah. I completely understand where you're coming from. And Ryan is actually one of the talking points I wanted to bring up later in the show. And we'll get to that. Um, before we do, before we jump, before we do get into our match recap, uh, like we do every week, we do like to go over any United news and notes that have come out. Uh, I don't know if you've seen it. The club has not officially said anything yet as far as like notifying the, the local media here. But Peter did let it slip in the pre-match on Saturday night that the next scheduled home match, which is September 12th, has been re- has will be relocated relocated as well. <sighs> yeah, I don't know if you caught. I, I wasn't sure if you had caught that or not, but I did not. I did not. But um, it doesn't it doesn't surprise me. It's just frustrating. Yeah, no, it really is. It it, it is really frustrating. Is you know, number one, as a, as a United supporter, and that first and foremost for me is probably the biggest frustration on it. Because I mean, we've gotten used to the point. You've we've gotten used to covering the club from from distance you know Mm -hmm. because you and i we covered the club last year as well we obviously can't travel to every away match so we had to we had to figure out processes figure out ways to cover the club and get questions into them and things like that in um 
you know, when they were away last season and there was, there were large stretches where we didn't even get to see the guys in person. So, you know, I think from that aspect of it, we're kind of more used to it, but yeah, it's just frustrating because we want to see live soccer. Like I was talking to, uh, talking to Harry from San Antonio and I said, you know, I haven't seen a live match since our interest squad, you know, way back in March. And yeah. And I didn't even make it to that. So I haven't seen one since we clinched a playoff spot. The last time I was I saw live soccer was the two two nil win against Vegas at the end of last year, and uh, I'm I, I don't like that. <laughs> yeah, and that's a long time to go without seeing these guys live, and you know I, I think it kind of it kind of hurts. I think in a way it hurts the relationship not only with the fans because they're not able to be there because because of how close the confines are at the lab, and the interactions that the players get to have with the fans after the matches. And then with uh, even with us, you know, I mean, yes, we get invites to the weekly presser. Unfortunately, I have, you know, I work middle of the day, and I know you do too, so we can't really make those often. But I, I am going to try to make this one because it is at noon, and my lunch break every day is from noon to one. Yeah, uh, and I forgot about it last week, so I actually set a reminder for it this week. So I'm, I'm going to attempt to make it this week, um, and hope that I can, I can get that done. But. Uh, I just have to remember. And then the, I, you know, I come in and Allie is technically working from 12 to, well, she works from eight to one anyways. So I'm not sure I'll be able to get the computer. So I have to get the phone set up and then the boys are awake and, and it's just kind of chaotic unless I was to do it like from my vehicle outside. Um, but I'll, I'll try to figure something out for tomorrow. I did want to ask you. Uh, I, I didn't couldn't really see a whole lot of other news regarding United this week. Um, no one got named to the team of the week, and I don't believe we were nominated for anything. So, um, no, I don't think so. Uh, I did want to ask you. Premier League is starting up in oh. about two weeks. Yes, I believe the twelfth is the kickoff date for uh, Premier League. Uh, what has Tottenham done so far in the off season? How do you think they're going to do this year? Um, they've signed some people. Um, I don't know these people. Uh, it's not one hundred percent true. <laughs> they they signed uh, somebody from uh, Wolverhampton, Wolverhampton Wanderers that uh, I I recognize the name and and remember uh, watching him play a little bit. Um, Matt. Doherty or something like that. I I don't have it in front of me. Um. So, so I, I was kind of excited by that. I listened to a, a Tottenham pods podcast that um that's kind of where I get most of my information from, and I only made it through about half of it. Uh, that was talking about the signings this this weekend over the weekend. Um. So I need to brush up on that. Um. I we'll see. I I I just I haven't been able to dive deep enough into that yet to where like I know if these moves really will make a difference or not. Um, Cause I know last year I got excited because they spent more money than they've ever spent on somebody. Um, and Dombele, uh was his last name. I can't think of his first name. And um, then he like very rarely played. And then after Josie, uh, Josie Mourinho took over as head coach, he definitely didn't really play. So, um, and it looks like he's probably going to be off the team now, uh, cause him and Moreno don't really get along and him and, uh, um, I can't think of his name now. It was a signing that Mourinho made after he came over Bergvine. Um, 
I guess they got into it too. So uh, he's probably not going to, Ndombele is probably not going to be with the team anymore. And that kind of sucks because I, I liked him uh, in what little I did see him play. But, you know, we still got uh, Harry Kane up there up top. And um, I like our midfield and our, and our forwards. Um, and I just, I can't, I haven't focused enough on the defense to know um, what we really need back there. So I, I don't watch them with the same passion that I watched United. That's for sure. Um, but I plan on trying to a little bit more. It's hard to, it's really hard to watch the, the premier league here in the, in the States, unless you've got, uh, you know, NBC sports, you know, premier league pass or whatever, or, um, we actually have Peacock as part of, uh, Xfinity. So we're going to get, I'm going to get every single premier league match for free. Um, which is going to be really nice. So, um, my question for you, as far as uh, as far as you know, some of the guys that are still with Tottenham, uh, can Harry Kane stay healthy? Uh, no, <laughs> I, <laughs> I I have not followed soccer all that long, like I've said, but um, it, it doesn't seem like he has the capability of of being healthy for extended periods of time, and it. It's uh, it's annoying because he, he, I love to see him out there healthy, uh, but he's either missing games or even some of the ones that he's there for. He just doesn't quite seem healthy. Um, but I, I'm excited for the new season to see what happens. I, I, um, I'm excited to see like Tottenham is my is my team, but Chelsea is fun to watch uh, because of the um, American angle. And then they've done some crazy things with signings this off season so far. So, um, uh, shout out, uh, another co-founder of Somos Knows News, uh, Keaton, um, who was one of the ones that put it all together. He's a big Chelsea fan. And, and, uh, because of that, I've kind of followed them as long as, as well as the American angle and stuff. So I know he's excited and, um, and I think he's got good reason to be. So, uh, it's going to be an interesting year. Yeah, I'm excited for, for the Premier League to start out to start back up. Uh, it feels like it just ended. Like it wasn't that long ago that we watched the last game, three weeks, four weeks ago that it ended. But of course, I mean that's just the way the world is, has gone, you know, uh, with, with COVID nineteen. So it's going to be interesting to see what happens with Prem and Champions League and Europa and all that kind of stuff as far as like match fitness go, and for all those clubs. You know, can they handle the stress of the of the condensed schedule, the new schedule? Uh, especially after coming off a shorter than usual break. So, yeah, I know from, from my perspective, you know, as an Everton supporter, it's been an interesting off season. Uh, we've got supposedly uh, Gilfie Sigurdsson may be coming to MLS. I don't know. Supposedly he's coming to uh, DC United hmm. or there's at least in talks with DC United, which I think would be really interesting. Um it's either Sigerson or Schneider. I'd have to, I'd have to double check, but uh, either way, either one of those guys leaving is going to be interesting. But Everton has it looks like three new midfielders coming in: uh, Allen from Napoli, uh, James Rodriguez from Real Madrid, and uh, Decore from Watford. So three supremely talented midfielders, guys who can make a massive difference uh, in an area where Everton like. M- desperately needed help uh, uh from last season so uh if we can get uh, those three guys apparently are all supposed to be imminently announced 
Hmm. Um, it's because Everton supposedly agreed to personal terms with Decore, agreed to terms with uh, with uh, Allen, and apparently James Rodriguez has already signed. So just waiting for nice. that announcement. So yeah, and I mean Rodriguez has played under Ancelotti before, so he knows this knows what he wants to do. But you know, I think those three guys is going to be really interesting. Um, if we bring in those three, because we've got supremely, we've got unbelievably talented forwards. You know, we got Richie, we got DCL, we got Anthony Gordon, who just signed a new five-year deal. Um, so yeah, it's going to be an interesting season for Everton to see what happens. I know we, I think we start the season at, at Liverpool or with Liverpool. I'd have to double check that, but yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be interesting. It's going to be interesting to see what happens. So yeah, I'll have to keep an eye on what you guys do as well, just to, to talk about it a little bit here on the pod and. And uh, I I know that I watch Atlanta with a different lens on uh, over in the MLS because of of your fandom forum and uh, and stuff like that. So I'll have to I'll have to do that with Everton as well. Yeah, it's yeah, there's a lot going on. And then there was one more bit of news I saw that came out today. I don't know how legit this is. I don't know if it's a how how real this deal is. But apparently, the City Group. The group that owns Manchester City, NYCFC, have apparently offered a $700 million deal to Messi. Mm. Five, I think it's a five or six year deal. To He'll play three years at City and then come to NYCFC. And it's also a, like an equity stake within the City group itself. Hmm. Now, I don't know about you, but if Messi does leave Barca, no matter what, that's a huge deal. If he comes to the Prem, I mean, Messi is what, 34 now? 34 or 35. I can't remember. I think I, mean, I read somewhere where when he would, if that were to, if he were to sign that deal, he would come over when he was 38. Okay. And still probably wreck most of the MLS. <laughs> yeah. Right. I mean, I mean, my, my, okay. So I just double check the Everton. Uh, it's Ever, uh, Everton and Spurs. First match of the season. Oh, really? Yeah, huh. September thirteenth. So that'll be interesting. It's a Sunday morning match. But uh, anyway, right. Messi, Messi coming to the prem at thirty four years old. How much of an impact would he actually make at that age? I think if he went to City, he would make a hell of an impact. Um, I they have. I mean, City is is obviously a very 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 talented squad. Um, just look at their last three or four or two two years for sure. Probably three i don't once you get past last year i don't remember exactly uh what was going on but uh they're, they're just a talented club and i don't think Messi's capable of well we saw it with barca he's not capable of carrying a group of guys just a group of guys yeah he, he can't he can't just take a random group of guys and and raise them to you know win the league um that he's in but i think if you put him with other talented guys uh, it'd be freaking scary as long as because I know Barca kind of their system kind of started to fade towards just feed Messi and let everybody sit back and watch Messi um, and watch his brilliance and as long as City were to keep Pep's plan uh, in place and and continue to play as a team um, then I think he would fit in and and his his numbers have a chance to be just out freaking rageous. Um, 
So I, I don't think that I, I, that's my opinion. I don't think he would be, I think he's still got a lot left to give, especially to a team like that. Now, when he comes over to NYCFC, if that's the case, um, just because of the talent difference between MLS defenders and Premier League defenders, I still think he would tear it up. But um, for for Man City, I think he would be very impressive. Yeah, he's one of the most talented footballers in the world, without a doubt. Um, and, and City definitely has a great supporting squad that could definitely help him. Uh, I mean, I just looked, I was just pulling up a different. He is thirty three. Um, yeah, it's uh, it would be it would be an interesting move to say the least. I think that I, I think that Messi, given the position that he plays, I really don't see how much longer he would um, be able to maintain a high level, especially in a league as physically demanding as the Prem is. So it'll be interesting to see just what happens with him over the next few years. Yeah, that's that's for sure. I'm well. well it, it's hard to tell. Like, I don't know how it is with soccer, but I know with a lot of other sports that um, are very physically demanding, such as basketball um, and football, you know, everybody's great. Like all the great ones are great until they aren't. Um, and it's usually a very rapid decline, um, whether it's like injuries or something like that. Like like Kobe, Kobe was was still really, really good. And then he had one injury, the Achilles injury, and then he just never was able to recover after that. So if Messi can stay healthy, which I I don't think he's really had a problem staying healthy in the past, um, if he can stay healthy um, and and avoid that one big injury, then they can still be, I think he can still be relevant into his time here at NYCFC uh, if he were to sign this deal. And But it's that one injury that, when you're up there in age, you just can't recover like you used to. And sometimes you never recover. So I'm intrigued to see what happens there. Um, I originally thought he was for sure going to leave Barca, but now that um, some time has gone by and still nothing has happened, um, I'm less sure about that. Uh, But yeah, I think he's... if he doesn't leave this year, I think this this will be his last year. I, I think this is his last year of his contract anyways, if I'm not mistaken, but I'm not yeah, 100% sure. Yeah. Okay. So, yeah, I, he, I think he will eventually get out. And I think Barca will probably be happy to get rid of that contract um, and hopefully be able to spend it on several things that can help them because I know they struggled this year. Yeah, they didn't definitely didn't have the season that they wanted, and then uh, they did not look good uh, against Bayern. That's that's the understatement of the year, right there. <laughs> so yeah, it'll be interesting to see. I mean, that could potentially just change the landscape uh, for football as we know it uh, in terms of how much money that contract could be worth and just the impact that he could have if it is if it does actually happen with Messi coming to MLS. Um, the question I have about that though is that if Messi does come to the MLS at this point, he would be at that point, he'd be what 36, 37. Does that reinforce the idea that MLS is a retirement home or does that help promote the idea that MLS is a home for 
known star or is a, a potential Dude, home for known stars. It's messy. It doesn't matter. <laughs> like, like if it was somebody else, if if Messi or Ronaldo come and play here, um, I don't know what that would project to other people. I don't really care. Um, Messi would be in the United States. He would be the biggest draw for any fan base. Um, if if he plays for NYCFC, every single one of their matches would be, uh, assuming we're in a world where fans are able to go to matches still, <laughs> or again, um, they'd all be sold out. Everywhere they traveled would be sold out. Because um, it's freaking messy. <laughs> um, if it If it was somebody like Harry Kane, you know, the, I'd be like, yeah, it, it looks like a retirement league. Um, and, and with Messi, some people might say that it still does, but it's freaking messy. Like it's, <laughs> if you have a chance to have the best player possibly ever to, to play the sport, play in your league, even in, at, as an American league that is always looked upon as, as a, a lower entity, which by talent levels it is, um, you still do that a hundred times out of a hundred. Do you think Messi coming to MLS? Do you think that would finally convince Citigroup to build NYCFC, an actual legitimate soccer-specific stadium? Possibly. I, I mean, it, part of me says yes, and part of me says I actually think it'd be kind of cool to see Messi play at Yankee Stadium. <laughs> like, <laughs> like, I. I imagine he would not think it was cool be coming over and playing in a baseball field, but um, just something about a sports great playing at. Um, I now I know it's not the original Yankee Stadium where they where they did a lot of their damage because it's a newer building now, but um, it's still still where the Yankees play. They still have all kinds of cool stuff there for baseball as far as baseball is concerned. But I mean, I wouldn't be. I also wouldn't be surprised if they sign this if he signs this deal and like two weeks later we hear, Oh, they're going to break ground on a new place. Um, <laughs> I wouldn't be surprised if that's the case either, because you know that if he signs this deal and he has to come over and play NYCFC is basically counting that revenue even before it happens. Um, and we'll bank on the fact that, you know, every home match will be sold out if they have messy, and they'll count that money and they'll just see dollar signs and maybe that'll get them to open their wallets for a stadium. Who knows? Yeah. They'll be swimming around like Scrooge McDuck in his vault is what's going to happen. <laughs> right. Yeah. So, all right. That's enough about, that's enough world football. Uh, we do have New Mexico United, of course, to talk about uh, United. If you, so, well, everyone should be aware at this point. Oh, go ahead. But before we get into United specific, uh, just going to run through a couple things. I'd like to run through a couple things that happened in the Western Conference here. Yeah, let's do it. Um, so in our group, uh, we played Colorado Springs. El Paso played uh, the Monarchs and won. Um, so El Paso moved a little bit closer to us. Now they're only five uh, points back with a match in hand. So theoretically, they could be two points back. Um and this this match this weekend, um, you know, we felt really comfortable with the seven point lead there at the top, and you know, seven matches left for us and eight for them, and we're like, oh yeah, we're fine. Well, you know, we lose this weekend, and all of a sudden it's a two point lead, 
and El Paso would have a match in hand still. So, so this one looks pretty important after all. Uh, it does go to it, the results this weekend do basically make it to where us and El Paso are going to be the two that move on. Um, cause Colorado Springs sitting on seven points through nine matches. They're, you know, eight points back of El Paso with the same amount of matches played and real monarchs are still only have four points on the year. Somehow I don't, I don't understand it, but that's where we sit. Um, and they've played eight, so they have two matches in hand on us, but they're, they're not catching us. I mean, we'd have to hit a really, really, really bad run of form for them to catch us. Uh, but elsewhere around the Western conference, San Antonio, um, has the best record in the West. Um, they have not lost yet this year. They're sitting on 24 points through 10 matches. Um, they, I've watched them. I've watched a couple of their matches and they don't look super impressive to me, but they still just win. Um, or at least not lose. And it, and it's kind of strange. Um, and then Phoenix lost. Yay. Clap. Uh, Here we go. Way to go. Is that Reno eighteen sixty eight and Bimbori? Yeah, put together a fantastic in. match. Yeah, they they came out and um, they they uh, they got the lead early, and then eventually Phoenix pegged back because that's what Pig Phoenix does. But um, within minutes after Phoenix uh, was able to tie the match back up, uh, Herzog, I believe, for Reno eighteen sixty eight. Put him ahead again, and this time it was for good. And Ben had a really, really massive save um, in the last few minutes there uh, in stoppage time, I believe it was, um, to to preserve those three points. And um, ironically enough, when you look at records and point totals, uh, New Mexico United six wins, two losses, two ties, uh, twenty points. Phoenix Rising six wins, two losses, two ties, twenty points. Um, now we're not going to talk about the goal differential because that is ridiculous for Phoenix still. Um, United still has like the fourth highest goal differential in the Western Conference, though. Yeah, but it's it's so much lower than, <laughs> than <laughs> it is. Yeah. Like you got San Antonio on fifteen. Again, San Antonio hasn't lost, and they have a goal differential of plus fifteen. Phoenix has lost twice. They have a goal differential of 17. And then Reno has a goal differential of 11. And then us and Sacramento are tied at five. Um, so we do still have one of the better ones in the Western Conference, but I do feel like it should be higher. But those, that's, I think you kind of give the defense credit there because we have kept three clean sheets and we haven't needed to score you know, five goals to feel safe. You know, we get the one and we feel safe and then we see it out and that's it. So um, I do see some bigger wins coming for us to get that goal differential up, but it's still not where Phoenix is at. Uh, RGV? Sorry, Ron. Oh, RGV. <laughs> RGV and, and Portland. Like, you just, you look at RGV, zero wins, seven losses, three draws, eight or minus 13 goal differential. Um Oklahoma City is not much better. They have a win in there, but they have a minus twelve goal differential. And then, and then Portland, oh Portland, oh, Portland, zero wins, eight losses, zero draws, a minus twenty-one goal differential. 
like, are they even playing? Like, are they fielding eleven <laughs> men every week? Like, has it, have people been watching those games? Doesn't supposedly they are. Around? I don't know, but like, it's yeah, it's really it, bad. I in watching the Reno game though, um, there was a player for Portland last year that I couldn't stand. His name was Langsdorf. Um, he now plays for Reno, and watching I watched that Phoenix match. Um, over the weekend and he did a lot of good things. And I was like, well, that, that could be part of why Portland is terrible right now. Um, Cause remember Portland last year, they made the play. I think they made the playoffs. If not, if not, they were, they were in the top part of the league for the top part of the Western conference for a lot of the season. You know, we had that three, three draw. That was a roller coaster of a match. And then we lost to them in Portland. Like they had a legit squad last year, and this year they just do not. Yeah. So they finished out of the playoffs last season. They finished fourteenth. Okay. Yeah. They just had a really bad end of the season, I guess. Because I know when we played them that first time, I think it was us and them were at the top of the Western Conference. So, um, but yeah. So the Western Conference, it's not much has changed. Um, it it looks like the only kind of shakeup is orange County has kind of had a bad run of form and now they are not in the playoff position and El Los Dos is, it has surpassed them in the standings, um, which is surprising to see, but we'll see if that holds up. Uh, and then Austin has a three point lead over Tulsa for that second place spot in group D. So you never know. Um, we'll we'll keep seeing. Austin hasn't lost in five matches, but they also have only won one of those five matches, which, as United fans know from last year, drawing a bunch is not a good way to make the playoffs. Um, so, so we'll see. It's it's going to be interesting for a couple of spots there, but we can we can now transition into into last weekend's match before we, we talk about a very pivotal game against El Paso coming up this weekend. Yeah. So uh, like, like, um, so if for some reason you were living on a rock and didn't see Saturday's match, uh, New Mexico United, of course did, uh, escape as I put it, um, it, it did escape Colorado Springs Saturday night with a one, one draw. Um, not the prettiest of matches, as we mentioned earlier, United just did not United look sluggish. Uh, they didn't look to be on you know, at, at their peak, and so, yeah, I mean, just the whole run, just the way the whole match played out. I mean, United just it was it was sluggish, it was sloppy. Uh, they did not necessarily play particularly well in the first half, um, so it was really hard to kind of put put a finger on like any one or two moments where things did not go well. Um, I'm pulling up the the match center here. And well, we'll take a look at this. Uh, yeah, so one of the things that we definitely want to talk about is, um, I mean, I don't know. Like it just, it, it just, it wasn't a good match. Like, it, it's really hard to, like I said, it's really hard to pinpoint like any like one or two things to say. Okay, this is where we didn't do well. This is where they took advantage of it. Um, I mean, Colorado pressed uh, more efficiently than we did. We didn't really disrupt anything. Uh, Devin, of course, was not in the in the match uh, in the team sheet at all, uh, which was in, which was kind of interesting. Uh, my assumption was that Troy was just giving him a night off. Um, but yeah, I mean, United 
converted on a penalty in the 54th. Uh, Armando just absolutely buried that one. Great shot by him. And then five minutes later, Aiden Daniels, uh, who really kind of terrorized our our 18 yard box uh, all night long, um, scored to pull it back level uh, for Colorado Springs. And yeah, it was just one of those matches that just just nothing seemed to go our way. And I think it started early. Like uh, you know, you we both watched the match. You know, Juan Pablo went down early with what appeared to be some sort of an injury. Um, I know they were working on his leg, um, but they said like he just he wasn't like and you could see like he wasn't like at the same pace as everybody else. So I don't know if maybe it was something a little bit more serious than what they initially thought. And finally they subbed him off at, at halftime. And, you know, and then Andrew Tenari picked up a really like funky yellow card. Um, and Ryan Williams, I can't even begin to explain his decision-making. So, but I mean, there's also something to be said about how the referee was more than willing to give uh, yellow cards to United, but similar fouls are not, did not go the same way for the, for, you know, against Colorado. So I don't know. I mean, it was just, so it was a weird, it was a hard match to watch. It was weird. And it took me a long time to really like wrap my head around what happened. What What's kind of funny though, is that it, like everything you just said is, is completely true. Like I, uh, I spot on, like it was just a weird match. We looked sluggish. It was, it was terrible. Um, I still felt like I mentioned earlier that we were going to end up with the win. Like we didn't, we definitely didn't look like the better team for most of the match, but it just, I, the fact that we played so terrible and the switchbacks look so good compared to what we've seen in the past and they couldn't muster anything. Um, it took a, I haven't looked, but I would not be surprised if the Daniels goal was nominated for goal of the week because it was a stunner. It was, it was a very, very, very nice goal. Um, and if it wasn't for Daniels kind of making something out of nothing, just like in the first match that we played them uh, in the restart when Salih had that worldie from 50 yards out, or however far it was, um, Daniels had another one that was from outside the 18-yard box that hit the post and went out, and then another one right after that that hit the post and went in. You know, if it's not for him for two good, great shots from him, they switchbacks hasn't scored on us this year. Uh, they've scored two goals on us this year. Both of them have been Aiden Daniels and both of them have been spectacular shots. Yeah. Aiden Daniels goals on Saturday night was nominated for goal of the week. It is currently sitting at 4% in the voting. Yeah, that's fine. Um, it, it was a hell of a shot though. Um, so, so, you know, I think that, uh, even with all the weird stuff that was going on for United, the fact that we got out of there with a one-one draw, that it took Daniels' amazing shot, and that I felt like we could get the win any minute, um, it says a lot about the talent of our club and the quality of our club that we can have just a weird, weird match and still, still be able to do that. Um, the Guzman thing—he he definitely didn't look right. Um, Tenari's yellow card, you know, it, it is what it is. I, he, I'm surprised he doesn't get more yellow cards, honestly, because the dude is just attacking. He's like a little pit bull. Um, so 
I, I knew that he was going to come off eventually just because, you know, we didn't want to get hit with him getting the second yellow um, and playing with 10 men. And then all of a sudden Ryan Williams comes out of nowhere. <laughs> and, and to be fair, so the first, the first yellow, I didn't really have a problem with the call and I didn't really have a problem with Williams. It was, it, it's something that happens. The second yellow, it's debatable whether he should have slid in there or not but he barely clipped the dude's toe. He pulled his legs back so as not to make contact, barely made contact anyways. If he even made contact, it was hard to tell for sure. Um, the guy goes down in a heap and we get another yellow card and send him off. And the whole time I, so full disclosure, I watched the match, but I turned off the sound because the Colorado Springs announcers are possibly the worst ones out there. Um, and put on the radio broadcast that you listen to. And when that play happened, when that second yellow for Williams happened, um, Andy and Adam were both like, oh, are we going to see another yellow here? Are we going to see another yellow here? And in my head, I was like, no, we're not. It's fine. You know, that There was barely anything there. And then all of a sudden, the yellow comes out and a red comes out and he goes off. And there there went our chances of getting a win for the most part. Um, But, and it, I didn't really see a whole lot of bad calls. Like I know that you, you touched on it in there and then the guys were touching on it a lot during the broadcast of, Oh, is that going to be a yellow for Colorado? Of course not. And I was like, I just, I just didn't see it. Uh, part of that could just be, I don't understand what a yellow card is anymore. So, uh-huh. I mean, yeah, it, it, the, the problem that I had is that you look at Ryan Williams, second fell uh, poor decision making by him. If you were going to, if we're going to be honest, mm-hmm. um, but I really don't feel like, again, like you, I didn't see the contact. I didn't see, necessarily see anything in there to warrant a yellow card. I feel like the Colorado players sold it a bit. Yeah. Uh, but at the same time, you know, you see guys on Colorado. There was one in particular. Um, I, I, I had it written down, but I don't know if I noticed, but the Colorado player went in studs up similar yeah. style, similar type of play didn't even warrant a yellow. Now, yellow cards are supposed to be awarded for dangerous play. And if it's egregious enough, then of course you go straight red. But in the case of some of these fouls, like if you slide, if you go in for a slide tackle, you go in studs up, you know, that's something that, that's almost an immediate yellow card every single time. But it didn't get called the same way. I mean, there was one point where I, where I saw, um, I think it was it might have been Ryan or someone else basically get taken down from behind, you know, off, you know, away from the ball, and there was no call. I'm like, okay, well, how is this even how is this match being called? Like if you're not gonna if you're not gonna you know call a foul on someone being taken down from behind, like with an upper body blow basically, you know, th- then there's a there's a problem here. Like there's it's just clearly not being called the same, you know, both ways. And I mean, honestly, I thought Andrew was going to get sent off early, but yeah, that makes sense. I mean, in fact, right after he got that first yellow card, he had a, an arm bar tackle of a, of a player down the near side. And it looked like he might get got sent off then. And he didn't, which was nice, but, and then to back to yellow cards, um, Tenari's fair. Williams is first fair. Williams is second questionable. The one on Mizell, that was such a quick trigger to me. Now I talked to talked to a gentleman on Facebook. I'm sorry, I don't remember 
um, what his name was uh, at the moment, but um, he he mentioned Mizell has a rep uh, a reputation for this stuff and this and, that and the other. And uh, he he obviously went for the ball that was just played out instead of the one that's right there by the goal and this and the other. And I get it. I, I understand it. I you know, but in my opinion, you know, if Mizell has a reputation of wasting time, then shouldn't every other goalie? Um, have that reputation because everybody does it if it benefits their team. In a situation like this where you're just trying to kill the clock, get out of there with a point, or if you have a late lead and you're just trying to kill the clock to get out of there with the win, every every goalkeeper does it, every single one of them. Well, and the ball went out of play. Mizell was already coming out towards that side. Um, and it looked like to me the ball that was closest to him at the time that the ball went out of play was the ball that went out of play. So he went to go grab it, and before, like, he took one step towards it, and the dude ran at him like he had just murdered somebody um, and showed the yellow to him. And I was just like, what? Why? Like, that made no sense to me whatsoever. So I, you'll very rarely hear me come on here and bash refs, um, especially the USL refs. Um, I, I understand that there is money on the line when it comes to players and coaches and stuff like that you know if if they perform better they get they they can get a better paycheck their next contract and this and the other i understand all that is is the case here um but i don't know what a usl ref makes but i can't imagine it's much um no i think it's a, a few hundred per match or something like that i could be wrong but like i, that's, I remember reading somewhere that it's not that's not a high paying job yeah that's no. not a lot and it's so so we kind of had this discussion last I think it was last week when we were talking about subs or maybe it was the week before and and um why three subs is even a rule and we kind of talked a little bit about how there was no subs for the longest time and then one sub and now three subs and how it didn't make sense to me that there wouldn't be five subs it doesn't make sense to me that there is one ref out in the middle of the pitch like m- most pitches are huge like uh, isops park notwithstanding you know a normal a normal size soccer specific stadium field is massive and you've got one guy in the middle of things and then one guy on one side playing on only half of the field and then another guy over here it's just it's like what why is that the case and if it's always just because it's been the case i don't understand it because it seems like a very 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 hard sport to see everything and to get all the calls right for one guy out there in the middle. Yeah, it, it definitely is. I mean, and I can speak from experience now. Granted, I've only refereed you know U eight soccer, but yeah, even on those small on those small fields, like it's hard to to catch everything that happens. And when you get to the you know professional soccer, high school soccer, and you know those type of levels where you're playing on full size pitches, you've got guys running you know full speed. It, it's really hard to tell, but that's. I mean, that's why you've got the two, I mean, uh, the two assistant referees on the side, like they're supposed to watch, basically watch the entire half. Now that but if it's, said, if it's something, if, if, if we're in our, in our side of the field, right. And the guy on that side is on, the assistant is on the far side of the field over there. If something happens in the near corner, there's nobody within 30 yards of it. Uh, if it gets there fast enough. So how are you going to, 
it amazes me the call the amount of calls that they get right to be completely honest with you like just the bang bang plays of it you know taking a deflection and then taking another small deflection and going out for either a corner or a goal kick the the fact that they get the calls right that they get is is impressive to me so i understand that they're going to miss them and they're going to it's going to be frustrating even for me even having that level headedness going into it um so you'll you'll very rarely hear me come on and bash any referee uh, even if they've had a really bad game and i honestly thought this guy wasn't terrible i mean the yellow cards were a little lopsided but for the most part i thought the penalty on parks was a penalty i think he earned it i think he got clipped and even though the colorado springs uh, player dispay was like shocked that it was called and kept protesting it and just sat there with a dumb look on his face it looked pretty good to me. Like it pre- looked pretty obvious to me that he got Parks' leg and Parks went down. So I don't know what the argument was there, but I, I felt like for the most part, I, I also feel um, in general this year, the refereeing has been better than last year. Is that crazy to think? For our, for our matches specifically, I know that there's been some weird things that have gone on uh, in some other matches recently. Um, and those are those I, I, I haven't, I didn't watch it. Um, like I know in the Phoenix Las Vegas match here two weeks ago, um, there was, a they called for four minutes of stoppage time and ended up playing nine. Um, and I don't know what happened there, um, because I didn't watch it. So I know that you can call some things into questions, but I feel like our matches this year have been better called than our matches last year. Yeah, I think on the whole, ref- the refereeing has been pretty good. Um, I mean, there are there's always going to be something that somebody can can point at to say, okay, well that's that's not appropriate refereeing, or you know the laws of the game weren't followed, or you know, whatever. You know, I, I know that there was that incident in was it the San Antonio match a week or two ago where they allowed oh the extra sub or the extra window, the extra sub window, yeah. yeah. Um, and I don't honestly don't know what became of that. Obviously, they haven't taken the points from, from San Antonio. Yeah, they said they came out and said nothing was gonna, nothing was gonna come of it for some reason. I think, I think because of the the new, the fact that it's five subs and three windows and all that stuff. The the writing of the yeah, rules were, yeah. yeah, the writing of the rules was a little fuzzy and it and just it was a little complicated. So I, I I guess they just decided that it it didn't really affect anything. So they just let it go, which I, I mean, that sub was in the 90th plus two minute. Um, the second minute is stoppage time and they were already up two or three goals. Like it, it didn't affect anything whatsoever. So I'm, I'm not heartbroken that they, they didn't take three points away from them. Yeah. It's just, it's just weird stuff. And, and going back to Cody's yellow card, you know, yes, Cody has received cards for time wasting in the past, um, I can't help but wonder if maybe Cody had gotten a warning at some point in the few minutes prior about that. See, to... I thought about that, but I couldn't remember any other times where he even wasted that much time. Like, So I guess that could have been it, and I'm just not remembering. Or I thought maybe Cody said something um, or did something inappropriate other than wasting time uh, just because the... Like the veracity with the which would the referee ran towards him like seconds after the ball went out of play. I was just like, it just seemed off to me. So I don't know. But 
Yeah, one of the other moderators over on the New Mexico New Mexico United subreddit put together a, a GIF of that sequence. And if you watch the clock literally four seconds pass from the time the ball went out of play until the time Cody was shown a yellow card. And so from yeah, for me it was like I it took me a while to figure out you know what exactly the yellow was for. And when I when I found out it was for time waste, I'm like, how is that even possible? Like it was. It's not like he sat there waiting for you know a minute to set up and you know grab grab the ball, set up, get everything going, and then go. That I can understand. Even thirty seconds, you know, I can understand. You know, if you're if you're sitting there waiting for that long, but for the the amount of time that passed, that's the only reason I can think of that that possibly Cody had been warned prior, or but I, I didn't. Again, I, I like you said, I didn't see anything. I didn't see anything that would warrant time wasting especially at a point where you know we could potentially still get a match winner you know i so i don't know i it just it's yeah. kind of confusing i don't either what, what do you i have a quick question for you what do you think of the sub pattern that we had this match um specifically we um and najem coming off in the 62nd for bruce and estrada did that because i'll be honest when i when i when it first happened i questioned we coming off um, at the time it was still tied. We were even strength. Um, you know, I, I was surprised by that fact. Um, now we wasn't very active, uh, in the match. He didn't get a whole lot of touches and stuff like that. But, but I, to me, if you're, if you're running that win, you are leaving him in there and hoping that at some point him and parks or him and Moreno can, can find something, some kind of move there to to free somebody up and get a goal there. So did, did you question that in the moment at all, or was it? Uh, am I making too big of a big deal about it, or what? What do you think there? Um. So let's see. When I, I, when I looked at that, and I saw I saw Cody when I saw him come off. I think it was in the, uh, the sixty seconds. So at that point, the match is tied up. Mm-hmm. We're down. A, or we're not we, down a man yet. Not down a man yet. Um, I think it was, I think maybe Troy saw what, what everyone else said, that, you know, the sluggishness, the fact that we weren't getting forward. We weren't, mm-hmm. we weren't crisp on our passes. Our movements were kind of stagnant. I think maybe it was kind of a, all right, let's get bees off. You know, we don't want to, you know, because we got the bigger match this week. Mm-hmm. And so just kind of put, you know, put Brucey and David in there. Uh, be a little bit more defensive. I mean, not that bees can't play defensively, but I feel like bringing on uh, David and, and, and Brucey definitely gives us a more defensive look, especially in the midfield. So I think, I think that's what it was. I, I, I can kind of see that. I, to me, it's, I don't like playing for the next match. Um, I, Cause like, if we get out of here with a two, one win, we're still seven points up with now seven or six matches left, seven for El Paso. Um, and if we lose this El Paso match, um, you know, it's it's four ma- or we're four points up um, with the game in hand where we could be one point up still, even if um, El Paso wins their two remaining matches. That to me is bigger than like it. it this match doesn't seem like the way you said it was the bigger match coming up next weekend. And, and I feel like it's a bigger match now because we only got the draw. Whereas if we get the win for this match, we're looking at next week's or this coming week's match, like, oh, okay. Yeah. I mean, 
it's big, obviously, because it's a group match. They're in second place and stuff, but it's not, if, if we lose, it's not like, oh, crap. Whereas now, you know, if we lose this match, I'm going to be a little nervous um, because of this draw. So so I understand it to an extent, and I, I mean, I think that's why we saw Sandoval sit. Um, I, I just, I didn't, I didn't like the not going for this win uh, at that particular time in the match. And when he came off, that's what it felt like was we were playing for the draw almost. And I didn't like that. Yeah, I can definitely see that. And I think some other folks might feel the same way. Um, yeah, I just can't help but wonder if maybe just Troy saw something. Yeah. yeah and I, I mean, I don't want to question Troy because I, I, I think he's done a fantastic job with, with subs and stuff like that. Um, well, see, that's our job as, as guys who cover the club and as fans, you know, we'll question what, what's going on. And, right. you know, I mean, we still trust in Troy, but there's nothing wrong with being an armchair coach and, and questioning, you know, was it the right tactic? Right. And that's what I'm doing here. Like, like I say, I, I, I want to give Troy the benefit of the doubt there uh, that he saw something that I didn't see or something like that because he, he is the coach. And he, like I said, he's done a fantastic job. But as a fan, as a media member or whatever you want to call it here, I I saw that happen and thought, man, he's playing for the tie, and that I don't I don't like that. Um, now he might come back and say, hey, um, you know, it, it may look like I was playing for the tie, but in, in reality, I saw Weehan struggling out there a little bit, and and they kind of keyed in on him, and I felt like our best chance of winning was to make a move. Um, but just looking at it from the outside, it looked like, um, it looked like we were playing for the tie. I got a quick, uh, quick trivia for you here. Um, not counting Cody. Cause we know Cody's played every match, obviously. Uh, but as far as field position players, who are the top five in minutes played? Uh, top five minutes played for us this season. Bees. He's number two. Uh, I would say uh, Amando. Amando's number three. So Weehan has 750 minutes. He has nine games played out of the 10. Um, nine starts, been subbed off 10 times. Amando's played in all 10 matches, um, also with nine starts, but he came in in that midweek match um, towards the end of the second half and scored that goal. So he's sitting on 738 minutes compared to Weehan's 750. Uh, I would also say Kalen Ryden. Kalen Ryden has played every minute this year. I, th- I kind of thought he had. He he has he has played. He has started all ten matches. Has not been subbed off. Him and Cody are sitting there with nine hundred minutes played. So you've got Kalen, Weehan, Moreno. Um, I would say my other two guesses would probably be Austin. Austin is next. Uh, he has seven hundred twenty minutes played. Uh, he has started eight matches, played in eight matches, has not been subbed off. So if he plays, he plays the whole thing, but he has set for two matches. All right. Um, so it's not Josh because he missed a couple matches. Right. So it is It is a midfielder. I'll give you that. It's a midfielder. Like a midfielder. Um, I guess it would be Juan Pablo. It's actually Tenari. Okay. Um, he's played in all 10 matches um started eight of them been subbed off seven times he's at 666 minutes played um which is a significant drop from austin who's played 720 so austin and everybody else has played over 700 minutes um 
And again, I, I couldn't be more impressed with Austin this year so far. Um, but I was, I was looking at that just, I'd looked at it earlier. And then when we were talking about we, I was thinking about it and, you know, he's played <clears throat> the most minutes other than Kalen on the team, um, while playing in one fewer match, um, than, than, than some of the players. So uh, that, that also could be, is he just, you know, he's played a lot and he just, coach just wanted to give him a bit more of a breather. So, so I understood that. I understand it to an extent. I, I didn't like the move when it first happened, but um, it is what it is. I think part of the theory with the substitutions is that with the way that our defense is playing, with the with the system that Troy is using, especially um, you know, typically what's happening is we've lined up as lined up with three in the back, and then we have whoever's on the on the wings, you know, uh, either Josh or say you know David or Brucey drop back into more of a wing back position. So we're essentially playing a five at the back. And so I think what that does is that that takes some of the pressure and some of the wear and tear off of, off the legs of, you know, Ryden and Austin, you know, who, even though they are playing significantly more minutes than everybody else, they're not necessarily putting as many miles on their legs, so to speak. And then you know, that's why you see Brucey play like half a match or 60 minutes, or, you know, you see, Josh obviously hasn't really come off ever um, when he does play, but that's why that's why you see those subs more so along the midfield and then the forwards than in, in the defensive, especially when the, when the defensive unit's playing so well. That's why we can go and take off those mid, those attacking midfielders, throw in guys like David or Brucey, and that, that can drop back and give us a more defensive look. So I think there's a lot to it. Yeah. I still think of Brucey as an attacking player still. Um, I know he played um, a, a defensive player position for us when David went down, or not David, um, Najim went down here a while back uh, when when he got hurt there early. I remember him playing back there, but I, I still look at look at uh, Brucey and think he, he's, he goes forward. But he also is a capable defender. He's shown us that this year so far. And and um, I, I agree. I, I, I actually really like this formation change um, because while it is a little more defensive, because I, I, when we played that four four two last year a lot, you know, we'd only have Tete and Schmidt um, back there anywhere near our goal um, when we had the ball and we're pushing, pushing forward. Um, and now it's a lot of times it is just riding back there and then even uh, so like in this case, it was Hamilton and Yearwood for most or for the match for most of the match. Uh, there was a little bit of a tweak there when Tenari went off and Tete came on and Hamilton moved to the midfield. But, you know, you see Austin and Hamilton uh, push forward a little bit more, leaving Ryden back there um, almost by himself sometimes. But for the most part, you know, you got three of them sitting there at midfield ready to pounce and. And it makes me kind of wonder why we didn't do that against Phoenix. And I think that coach kind of alluded to that here a while back, but it also, while being a little more sound defensively, you know, having the three guys up front and then two guys on the wing that, you know, Suggs, Suggs and Najem, Suggs and Brucey, um, Suggs and Estrada, Estrada and Najem, you know, any combination there, um, they like to push up as just as much as they can defend. So uh, I just really like the, the versatility to brings and, and I think Ryden kind of unlocked a lot of that for us 
I don't think we had somebody with Raiden's capabilities, speed, and strength back there um, to do that last year. So, so I'm really happy with that defensive or that lineup or that formation change. And I don't think it was a problem in this match. I just, it, it just came down to effort in this match, and that's that's all it was this match. Yeah, and that, I think that's what makes you know matches like that hard, so hard to swallow. Um, you talked about the Phoenix match. We did, of course. You know, the lineup was as a four four one one. I think that wasn't that was in an effort to try to play more defensively against uh, such a high powered squad, but it just didn't work for us. And that night they were able to find spaces and exploit those holes. But when we play those, when we played three at the back, and then we have the option to have those, the, you know, the two wide backs drop back. I think it does give us, you know, it gives that ability to not only cover the wings better in our, in our own defensive half, but going forward, it gives us more attacking options as well. And you're absolutely right about Brucey. Brucey is an attacking player. You know, I mean, I would classify him as, you know, an attacking, attacking mid. Absolutely. Every, you know, every day. But, and one of the things I heard, I've heard on the radio. And as I watch Brucey play this year, you know, the, our club doesn't have a true designated, you know, wing back. But with Brucey's speed, his ability on the ball, he's able to, to, to basically fill that role. And you've seen like his defensive effort um, be a lot more efficient, a lot cleaner and be more effective this year, which I think is, has helped. And of course, you know, Kalen, of course, um, I mean, of course, Kalen has been a, a huge part of it. You know, we did, we did have Schmidt early on uh, now out with an injury, of course, but there's the difference between Kalen and Justin is that, Kalen's got the speed to go forward. He's got the speed to cover the ground more effectively than Justin does. And that's not to say that Justin, you know, isn't a good defender. And that's not what I'm saying. Justin's very good defensively. He's a very physical presence. He's got height. He can get there in the middle and disrupt what they want to do, what opponents want to do in the box. He just doesn't have that speed, that closing speed to really, you know, keep pace with guys like, uh, like Asante or, or Flemings, you know, guys who can really, you know, push the ball, um, either you know up the up the wings or even the you know, straight up the pitch, really. Right, exactly. No, and then I, all of those are reasons why our defense has been so much better this year. I think um, the formation change, where we can theoretically play a five, or play with five in the back, uh, playing that three four three, or um, and just having somebody of Ryden's caliber back there um, holding it down. So, so I really like that. I. I think that um, I think that it it really gives a team like El Paso um, trouble when we play that three four three this year um, because they they like to build up out of the back and with that high press you know it you have Suggs and Najem on the wings up there um, trying to stop that high press two players that are more defensive minded anyways but now instead of being defensive minded in their own third, you know, it's in the midfield and pushing up a little higher. And, and I, I think it's given El Paso trouble. So, um, I, I mean, I'm excited to see it's something that, you know, I, it's hard for me to focus on. It's hard for me to notice stuff defensively unless I am flat out looking for it. So in this next match coming up on Saturday, I definitely will be keen in on how, um, how our defense, in that three, four, three, assuming that's what we come out and play, how that kind of throws El Paso off a little bit. 
Yeah, I assume we see that or something similar to it. Um, I definitely think that we see Devin back because you know I haven't heard anything about any sort of injury. I think maybe, like I said, I think it was just a day off for for Devin. Um, you can I, never tell with injuries here. With I don't know how it is with other USL clubs, but New Mexico, they you know Schmidt has been on the injury report quite a bit uh, every every week because we know that he's basically done for the year because of a foot injury, but you. You never know. Like Suggs was out for a couple matches earlier, presumably because of an injury, but I don't think I ever saw him on the injury report. So I I don't know exactly what's going on there, but um, I, I expect him to be. I know that. In fact, I know that he is. He was injured a little bit, uh, Devin. That is um, when he missed when he wasn't in the eighteen a couple of matches ago, uh, but he wasn't on the injury report either. Um, so. Injuries in them, they're not very clear with what's going on there. But I do expect him to be back. Yeah, I mean, we know from last season that Troy is very tight, tight-lipped about injuries. Like, you know, we, we mentioned it before. Like, we didn't know that um, Goss was out for the season. We didn't know some of the other stuff that was going on. Uh, you mentioned Suggs, you know, missing, missing some time earlier this season. I actually, like, got in touch with the club uh, around kickoff of that match or one of the matches back in July. And I asked about it and they said, no, nope, he just didn't travel with the club. Wasn't injured, just didn't travel. So, I mean, Troy, that, I mean, we're always going to see that. I mean, with a roster of, you know, 22, 23 guys, there's always going to be people that don't travel. So it, it's, it's hard to say. I mean, and if they don't travel, I mean, there's, you know, I don't think you necessarily have to put them on the injury report. You know, I, I don't know if there's like specific, I haven't seen any specific rules about that, but um, yeah, it's definitely very hard to get any sort of information to try to figure that out. But um, I, before we move on to our El Paso, uh, that uh, our El Paso preview, I did want to ask you. So last week, I think it was last week, we talked about the number of subs that clubs are using. You know, we mentioned the United is basically using five in every single match. And looking back at, at the matches since the restart, we have used all five subs in all but one match. Now compare that to our opponents in nine matches played only four times have our opponents used all five substitutions. And I believe it's only, there's only one additional time where they've used four, everything else. They've only used the traditional three substitutions. What do you think is, what do you think is the reasoning behind the differences in how the substitutions are handled and do you th- again do you think that at this point united using all Troy using all five subs is basically a tactical advantage because we're able to rest guys a little bit more we're able to get fresher more sets of fresh legs on the pitch every single match and if that's the case why aren't more clubs doing it i think i don't know you know it, it i definitely think it's helped us uh we've we've talked about it a little bit um that it it just seems to be something that coach is going to utilize. And I think a lot of it's because we have the depth and we have the talent that he can make those switches and, and not feel like he's losing anything. And a team like uh, Colorado Springs, who I I saw that they only use three um, on Saturday and, and I was looking at their, their bench and, you know, I'm not as familiar with the switchbacks program and stuff, but I still look at that and go, yeah, there's none of, none of these guys are like jumping off the page. Like if you followed United at all last year and you saw Tete on the bench this week, um, you're going to be like, whoa, that's, 
he was really good for them last year. I wonder why he's not out there. And and with Colorado Springs specifically, that that doesn't nobody jumps off the page there. So it it could just be they don't feel like they have the talent to put in there. Or what I think happens in some cases is that they just aren't used to it and they either forget or they brush it off like, yeah, it's no, no big deal or whatever. Um, and they just aren't, no offense to Alan Koch, but you just not smart enough to realize that it's a benefit to you. Um, so I don't know. It, it could be either of those things. But I do, unless you have something to add to that, I have a little bit of, it's not breaking news, but I just found it. Um, and it could have implications for us uh, with United. But the USL announced today that the match between Colorado Springs and El Paso, which was actually supposed to be played tomorrow, uh, has been rescheduled for September 30th because of an individual in close proximity with a person with a Switchbacks FC organization has tested positive for COVID. Now, we just played Switchbacks FC um Obviously, three days ago, two days ago, three days ago, um, we it'll be interesting to see if uh, if I'm assuming we would get tested right away in that situation, um, and hopefully nobody comes back positive uh, for United, and we can play this weekend as regularly scheduled. But it does bring up a red flag to me that you know we're probably getting tested right now, and somebody could test positive because of that between now and Saturday and that game could get postponed. Not sure if you had seen that at all. No. When did that come out? Um, I don't know. I just happened to be scrolling. So today, uh, at no, no yesterday, actually at 2 PM Eastern. Hmm. No, at 4 PM Eastern. So 2 PM here. Um, so yesterday afternoon it, it came out and I guess it slipped between the track slipped between the cracks for both of us because I had not seen it until just now either. Um, so that is something that we definitely need to keep an eye out on and hope that nothing uh, pops off positive for us. Yeah. That's a little bit strange because I, you know, I have you know, notifications around for USL championship and I, I don't remember seeing anything at all about that. Um, yeah. I mean, considering that we did just play them, that is, uh, some interesting, an interesting bit of news to come out. Um, I mean, as my understanding is that the players are getting tested at least once a week. So, I mean, I hopefully that I would think that hopefully that maybe they move up the testing to just to ensure or get at least get an early result back on those tests. Um, I mean, our our schedule is so so backloaded right now anyway like i would hate to see another match um you know get postponed so hopefully it's just someone like tangentially um associated with the with colorado springs and wasn't necessarily around the players that's kind of what it sounded like so um so hopefully it's it's something that that isn't a huge threat to us anyways because i how did they word it here the postponement comes after an individual in close proximity with a covered person in the Switchbacks FC organization has tested positive. So it sounds like a spouse or a kid, uh, somebody that lives with somebody that's in the FC organization, um, caught it. So, 
So hopefully it's it's a uh, you know maybe a trainer's wife um, or something like that where it wouldn't necessarily have been as risky for our players. But with the way this stuff travels, who knows? Uh, it, it's hard to say. But but definitely something to keep an eye on. Um, assuming that this match does go on as scheduled this coming Saturday. Um, what are your thoughts on that? You got anybody um, for El Paso that we need to watch? Or um, how, how do you feel El Paso stacks up to, against us anyways? Well, I mean, El Paso, we've talked about it in the past. You know, El Paso and United typically play each other fairly physically. Um, that hasn't necessarily been the case this year. But there have been uh, some a few instances where it's gotten a little bit cheaper. Um, I think and we've we've basically split the matches as a one win, one draw for United in the two matches already this season. Um, El Paso has been playing decent of late. Uh, they did they did beat uh, Real Salt Lake the other day. Uh, I kind of feel like they got a little bit lucky in that match um, to to get the points. Uh, Salt Lake just wasn't able to to find an equalizer. Um, yeah. So I yeah, it's just uh, looking at El Paso um, last five. They are sorry, I had this up. They've won three, lost one, and one draw in their last five matches. So uh, same run of form as us. They're basically just keeping pace. Uh, they do, of course, still have that match in hand, like we mentioned earlier. Um, but again, looking at at their matches, I mean. They beat Colorado. They beat Monarchs. They beat Monarchs. They drew to Colorado. So it's not like they're beating anybody of note. You know, right. they're doing it. They're beating the teams that they're supposed to beat. Um, they're not necessarily like looking impressive in any of them. I mean, I guess the the four two win over over Colorado was was decent, but um, yeah, they're just they're not. And prior to that, they lost to Phoenix. So they're beating the clubs they're supposed to be. They're not beating the clubs that they should either draw or have a chance to beat. Um, they just, I don't necessarily think that they stack up well with us. I think that they, they're just better than the other two teams in the, in the, in the group. And that's probably the nicest way of putting that. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, I just, I think that's how it is. That's just how it's going to be for the rest of the season. Um, it, it's going to, it's going to take us getting up for it for sure. And we've got to, you know, we've got to look at who, um, I mean, really looking at their, at their, at their roster. I mean, they have nobody with more than three goals. Aaron Gomez has got three. Um, so, I mean, they're spreading the ball around. Different guys are, are getting opportunity. They're not, blowing the league lead away league away with, with, the, with the goals that they're scoring yeah i was i was looking at their their stat leaders as well and saw omar salgado down there with one goal and man that guy talks a lot of crap and is a big pain in the butt for only scoring one goal and having one assist on the season dylan mars is a guy that that i would take a take a look at you know i was looking ahead to el paso's upcoming matches they have us in the san antonio back-to-back weeks so it's gonna be a really telling two weeks span here for them and then they go on a on a real quick little uh three matches within seven days starting with uh san antonio next week so yeah i just i just don't know i don't know that el paso has enough to beat us or San Antonio next week. And then beyond that, they've 
after those two matches, they then have uh, five remaining all against the group and only one more against us. So, I mean, I think they're pretty well locked in for second place. Yeah, I, I mean, I I agree with you. Um, this this last match that we had against Colorado Springs um, shakes my confidence a little bit. I hate to say it, but it does. Uh, mainly that's just, um, like our buddy Josh Carrillo, um, having been New Mexico sports fans all of our lives, there's just uh, always something that eats at the back of my head that, you know, could, and for me, it's not even just New Mexico sports. Like I'm a Rockies fan. I'm an avalanche fan. I'm a Bucks fan and I'm a Timberwolves fan. And all four of those teams consistently let me down. So, um, I, I'm a little bit jaded at times even though I am uh, a big optimist in my life. Um, so so I'm slightly concerned. I think that last week was more of just not being able to get up for that team, and I don't think that'll happen with El Paso. I think they, they play El Paso tough consistently, and uh, I, I feel like um, they'll come out with a different kind of energy and, and look to look to kind of push um push El Paso around and and hopefully get that three points and and come away with that because I would like to see I'd you know El Paso is a team another team that hasn't beaten us um last year we drew and then we beat them so far this year like you said we drew and we beat them so um we'll see if uh that trend can continue as far as people to watch um Mares is definitely one of the ones that I, I look at there. He he has two goals, which is second on the team, and he leads the team with two assists. He's been one of their better playmakers um, and offensive threats. Salgado, I, I say he's one to watch just because you can just watch him be a crybaby all the time. Um, like Asante, I look at Asante, and he flops like crazy, and it drives me nuts, and he complains all the time, and it drives me nuts. Sante is five foot nothing, as we established, though. And I can look at that and go, yeah, you know, he he, he needs advantages. So if flopping gives him an advantage um, and kind of nullifies the lack of height there, then okay, I get that. Um, Omar Salgado does not have that. Um, doesn't have that. Like, he... He's huge. I don't know his. I, I've been trying to pull up his thing, and it, 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 we we'll have a separate podcast on the USL website and how annoying it is at times. But um, he he's a big dude. He's strong, and yet he still he doesn't go down as easy as Asante does. But man, does he complain as much as Asante? Um, <laughs> and I and I'm pretty sure in one of the matches earlier this year, I I put it that he has a very punchable face. Um, so, so, and he always pesters our guys. So I could see him being, uh, uh, being somebody to watch that could, I I think he has potential to affect his team in a negative way or a positive way. Um, one or the other. So, so he's one to watch for sure. Uh, so him and Mares, keep an eye on them. I, I, I think um, uh, Richie Ryan is also a guy that he, he's not on any of their team leaders stat pages or anything like that, but um, 
he definitely affects the game um, in the midfield and on the back line. And, and he just, um, he makes plays and, and gets crosses in and does things that aren't showing up on the stat line right now, but are definitely, he, he, he's got, he's like sixth or seventh on the team, fifth on the team with chances created. Uh, but Dylan Mares, man, he, your guy, he, he leads the team in chances created by a lot. He's got 27 um, compared to 10 for second place, which is Aaron Gomez, who leads the team in goals. So they've got some talent. They, like you said, they like to spread the ball around, spread the scoring around. Uh, they don't have anybody like last year, uh, Kisa Vetter, you know, he, if he didn't score, they didn't score almost, it seemed like. Um, and they've done a lot better job this year of spreading that wealth around and, and not relying on one person to put the ball in the back of the net, which I think has helped their offense a little bit this year. Yeah, I have to agree with that. Um, that's one of the problems that we see with a lot of different clubs, especially, you know, I mean, I know El Paso was not like a, a, a MLS two team or a feeder team, but with teams that have suffered with a lot of turnover, particularly in their, uh, you know, attacking third uh, or even in the midfield, you don't see the fluidity that they may have had last season. You don't see the number of chances created. You don't see the number of conversions taking place. So yeah, they're, they're a club that has struggled at times uh, with their scoring. I think, I believe the, uh, the four match uh, goal game, four goal match against Colorado is their uh, highest of the season. And I think other than that, like they've, I think I might have hit three once. I think for the most part, it's uh, one or two goals per match for them. So, yeah, I mean, they can, they can struggle at times. And I think that's something that United can take advantage of. So, yeah, as I'm scrolling back through, yeah, they've only hit the, they've hit more than two goals once. And it was that one match. So I, I just, I don't, I really don't see them doing anything to really throw United off this week. Yeah, I think I'm going to agree with that. Um, definitely think that they they are they're not as good of a team as us. Um, and you know, I, I I think after it wasn't a loss, it was a draw. But I do think that they are United is going to be hungry and looking to to come out and and kind of put a stamp on things and. Who's a player to watch? I don't. I don't know if we've done this in the past before, but is there a player for United that you are specifically keying in on and and seeing what they do this week? I mean, it's easy to pick someone like Bees or you know Dev and say you know oh they're going to have a, a basically you know a better match, a rebound match, whatever you want to call it. Um, but I think uh, in this matchup, it's going to be someone you know like. Uh, like Andrew or or Brucey that's going to you know create some chances that's going to you know play the ball forward um that could you know spread the spread the pitch a little bit and you know get El Paso out of their comfort zone. Yeah, I think that's a that's a good way to look at it. I I um at the moment I got to look at Moreno and and um the form that he's coming in on for the month of August, he scored four goals and had two assists. Um, one of them was a penalty. Yes, but it still counts. Um, it, it, he just, he's finding this stride that, 
that I think we we talked about briefly last week that you know we all thought he was capable of and I am real curious to see if he can continue that and continue to build on that and stay hot uh because I think if he does you know we could have two double digit scorers in the span of you know a 16 game season which I think would be very impressive, especially because we're we're getting some scoring from other people. Um, but you know, if if Moreno can stay hot and then Weehan can get a few more here and there, um, ten two double digit scores, even if they don't get to double digits, even if they're both like eight nine uh, in sixteen games, I think that is that would be very very impressive to me, and. Um, in fact, so you were listening to the to the broadcast where um, Andy had said that at the beginning of the season he had said if Moreno scored ten goals he would uh, do his hair like Amando's. Uh, did you catch that in the broadcast at all? Yeah, I heard that early in the season that they, they were talking about it before the match on Saturday as well. Yes, yeah, so, and then Moreno scored the PK on Saturday, so you know that gave him four. Uh, with six goals or six games plus the playoffs, hopefully to play, and um, uh, Andy on on the Fever Pitch, on the Fever Pitch account, uh, which is a TV show that they do, um, had said that he was getting nervous and thought that he was going to have to start growing out his hair, and I I chimed in with, uh, well, well, guys, shouldn't that be five goals since we're playing half of the games that we originally thought we were going to play in March? And and uh, and he quickly chimed back with, good point, but no. So, so he definitely isn't going to do it unless he reaches 10 goals. So I, I hope that uh, I hope that Amando can do it just because I, I think I would love to see that um, see that happen later this year. Yeah, that would definitely be something for them to do, you know, either live on the air or something. Uh, you know, good little uh, team spirit type deal. Agreed. So you got a final score prediction for us for this coming Saturday? 2-0. 2-0. All right. All right. Yeah, I think it'll be about that. Um, I'll go ahead and do you one better and say 3-0 just because uh, I don't want to be the same as you. And I, honestly, 2-0 feels just about right. But... I'll go on the optimistic side of you and say three nil and uh, we can reestablish our dominance at the top of group C. Yeah, that's the hope. Uh, a win would go, definitely go a long way. Um, you know, we, we talked a little bit earlier about the, the standings across the West. Uh, you know, there are, there are actually a couple of clubs that could be mathematically eliminated um, by the end of this weekend. Portland and RGV. Portland is one of them. No, R- probably, RGV, probably not RGV. No, RGV has at least one more week of life ahead of them uh, as far as uh, playoff potential goes. So yeah, Timbers 2 could be eliminated. Uh, RGV is about a week away uh, from being... What about the Monarchs? Uh, so Monarchs, they they have life, but it's going to take a collapse of basically epic proportions from either United or El Paso for that to happen. Uh, they could still potentially end up on 28 points if they went out. Um, Monarchs this week. Yeah. Let me see where they, what their matches, their match schedule looks like for them. They have 
And now the USL Championship website does not want to load for me. There it is. All <laughs> right. So they have um, Tacoma this weekend, followed by Colorado and then us. So uh, three matches within eight days. Um, you went out a little bit further than that. Four matches in 12 days. So yeah, they're, they're the, they're, their schedule right now is actually really packed. So between September 4th and September 19th, they have five matches. Wow. In 15 and they, days. And they don't look good anyways. So, I mean, yeah, that's going to be, that's going to be, I was just trying to think of lowest point totals for the bottom place teams and highest point totals for the top two place teams. And I, I couldn't think of anybody except for them, Portland and RGV that were drastically, drastically behind. Yeah. Our, yeah. So Real could potentially be eliminated um, by us in a few weeks. Uh, or sorry, uh, Monarchs could be eliminated by us in a few weeks, depending on their other results. I mean, they've got Tacoma and Portland in, the, in their next five matches. So they have a little bit of life. Um, they haven't been necessarily been playing well against Colorado. And then obviously against us, they did not play well. So, yeah, we could eliminate them on the 12th. Uh, RGV, we could potentially most likely be eliminated before we get to them. Um, I mean, there is a chance if Austin and FC Tulsa just kind of bottom out, but uh, San Antonio has pretty much already locked up one spot there. Yeah, for sure. And, and then in the Eastern Conference, uh, Atlanta United is about one week away from being eliminated. Uh, Miami FC, uh, again, they they may be out of it. They they do have four matches in hand. Yeah, they do have a lot. Yeah. So yeah, Eastern Conference is not looking. Philadelphia Union two could potentially be out of it before too long. But they've got uh, matches in hand as well. Yeah, they got four in hand over Pittsburgh. So yeah. It's there's a few clubs that could be eliminated here in the next uh, week or two. So, uh, yeah, playoff picture is going to start uh, getting unmuddled. All right, and I think that's all we got here tonight. Um, again, uh, two nil for him, three nil for me for predictions for this coming week. Uh, we hope to bounce back. We we both think we'll bounce back against El Paso. Uh, keep first place on lock uh, and not be worried about it. So. So hopefully we can get that done. That'll be this weekend, um, Saturday evening. So be sure to tune into that. Hopefully we'll have some home matches coming up here at the end of the season. I know you mentioned that the 12th looks like it's going to get rescheduled as well. So that's kind of a downer, but we'll see what happens there. Um, other than that, guys, stay safe out there. Have a good week. Um, watch the United match on Saturday and somos Unidos. Oh yeah, our social media. Sorry, it's <laughs> it's a little late. Um, catch us at on Twitter. We got the Sun Suncast Twitter or at Suncast, and then at Somosinos News on Facebook. We're at Somosinos News. Um, we got the Facebook page there. You can also catch me on Facebook personally and Seth on Twitter personally. Um, if you want to reach out to us there, listen to the podcast on on whatever you'd listen to there, leave a review and rate it for us. And um, uh, email us at uh, Jacob at Dead Ventures Media and Seth at Dead Ventures Media. Uh, that wasn't my cleanest outro, but it'll have to do for tonight, guys. Um, so again, have a good week. Be safe and so we'll this.
You've been listening to Suncast, the official podcast of Somos Unidos News. All of our shows are recorded live from Albuquerque and Los Lunas, New Mexico, are written and produced by Seth Bidoff and Jacob Terrell, and are edited by Seth. Special thanks to Jeff, too, on YouTube for the music you hear in every episode. All episodes are recorded and edited using CleanFeed and Audacity. All of our shows are proudly hosted on Pinecast.